This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 149, and we're recording on Friday, March 18th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Man, I sound I sound bad. I sound you sound bad. a little sick. sound a little sick. I just was up and down with the kids last night, and... Um, it it sounds like I had a hangover, so it wasn't I wasn't out on St. Patrick's Day. I was dealing with dealing with leprechauns, but uh, not St. Patrick's Day. You're an O'Neill. You didn't I know, do it big I know. on St. Patrick's not Day. Not really. Uh, you know, people always ask. I'm like, you realize, of course, that St. Patrick's Day is basically. I, I think the Lucky Charms commercial is more culturally <laughs> accurate than what you see on St. Patrick's Day. About also, you're super duper not Catholic. So no, very not Catholic. Very uh, extremely not Catholic. Yes, very not Catholic. Um, German, Irish, more and more German than Irish uh, anymore. Um, so let's get our first sponsor. Anyway. We're glad to have Warby Parker back. I right now am wearing my Warby Warby Parker glasses. So uh, you may have heard of Warby Parker before, but he, here's what's going on with or. Warby Parker. I was just reading in um, Adam Grant's original, The Origin Story of the Company of Warby Parker, and uh, one of the co-founders was coming back from abroad where he had lost both his iPhone and his glasses. Oh, God. <laughs> and he was in line, uh, it was in line to buy his iPhone after he had just bought his glasses. And he's like, why is my, why are my glasses as much as my iPhone? And he's like, the, this iPhone is basically a supercomputer you hold in your hand, and glasses are like, glasses <laughs> you know <laughs> they you know they haven't glass and plastic glass and plastic and you know i'm there's machiner machining that goes into them and uh, refracting and all those sorts of things i don't know anything about except to say the verbs and so he starts like is i wonder why there's so much and basically he realized he, he did some research and found out that 80 percent of the i believe u.s eyeglass market was owned by one company and they owned a bunch of different chains, so it felt like there was more choice than there was, but it was all it was all fruit of a poison tree. Um, and see, so he and his friend, who had no experience in glasses or technology, like this shouldn't be this way. Um, so they started Warby Parker, and and that's the value proposition. To be honest, it's they cut out the middlemen. There's no big retail stores to go to. They they charge you a fair price for good glasses, prescription glasses starting at ninety five dollars, including your lenses. You can get non-prescription polarized sunglasses too, starting at one seventy-five. Is that's the time of year we're all starting about sunny here, in beautiful Kansas. Um, you can get reading glasses, sunglasses. You buy them online, and one of the other features they were try- they were pitching the idea to their friends and like, would you do this? And everyone was like, no, no, I'm never buying glasses online because, as most of us know, it's pretty pretty tricky to to find a good set of glasses that you feel comfortable with. Uh, at least I know it is for me. Um, and so they, what they find their breakthrough was, well, what if you could try them on and send them back? And suddenly they converted a bunch of their friends and they thought they had a, uh, a viable product to go forward. Um, so whether or not you have pretty good glass, good, pretty good eyesight, just need a little something, or, or you need basically you know Hubble Space Telescope lenses, Warby Parker has you covered with a wide range of prescription options. Progressive lenses for those who are looking for strong prescriptions. They do have ultra thin, high index lenses, so they never look like you know you're walking around with a space telescope on your face. You can order five pairs of glasses to be shipped directly to you for free that you can try on. You can take selfies with them, put them online, have your friends, families, um, whoever that person is in your life that gives you valuable, honest feedback. That's who you should show them off to, and then you know you you mail them back in a prepaid package. The the glasses you get 
um, I should, you know, they don't say this. They're non-prescription. They just have, you know, neutral lenses in them because they're not going to send you um, prescriptions. So you can't see through them. So you got to send them all back. But then you tell them which one you want. Well, you can see them, just not with your prescription. You tell them which one you want. Um, you don't have to buy one if you don't like that. Um, you get five frames and you can try them on. And for every pair of glasses sold, um, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. Um, so warbyparker.com slash bookriot to begin your free home trial experience today. That's warbyparker.com slash bookriot. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring the show. Go try them on. Uh, I have both myself. I paid um, hard-earned, O'Neill-earned money for them, um, both sunglasses and uh, my prescription lenses that I'm wearing right now. Okay. Um, bit of a quiet week last week. I thought we'd just follow up a little bit about our discussion of J.K. Rowling last week. We got a lot of feedback about it, mostly positive, um, in terms of people understanding and, and, and following along with what we're saying. Um, there, the discussion has continued a little bit. I don't, there hasn't been major breaking news. Um, Rowling herself still hasn't commented, at least no, as far as I know. she's tweeting again. She is back, so, uh, she is, she, she's... Are, are you inferring that she went on a hiatus because of this, Amanda? Is that what oh, you were seeing? I don't know why you would get... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, oh, she doesn't have a declarative opinion. Oh, wait. Yes, she does. She's just trying to <laughs> lead me by the nose down the wrong way. Um, anything else to add? Have you been think, I've been thinking about it a little bit. I don't have much else to add, but I thought we might just take a moment since we did get a lot of feedback and um, it, it, it was one of our longer discussions we've had on the show. Yeah, no, no. I pretty much stand by everything yeah. that I said, so... Um, <laughs> okay, good. So well, thank you all so much for your feedback. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, this, the conversation will happen. If, if there is some sort of follow-up or comment from her, we will talk about it when the time is appropriate. Um, and, and it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a show if there were some more, weren't some more Harry Potter related news. Um, this one's interesting. Basically the article in the guardian talking about this, this new basically category that's been, I think books in this category have been around for a while, but sort of re- uh, packaging it to call it griplet because if we don't so call something insert noun lit every four or five <laughs> years or so then the book internet doesn't know what to do um but this is basically calling griplet uh, I, I don't i guess it would be psychological thrillers that are more literary and also are like by and about women is that what yeah, you understood for this time i heard this genre talked about it was called chick noir chick noir and so i guess griplet is the new less yeah. gross phrase i mean yeah. it's not it's equally gross but it's not as sexist i suppose um, i guess because it's gripping is that what it's supposed sure. to be it yeah. just sounds dirty to me i don't know so nielsen book scan shows that fiction sales were up 5.2 percent last year um, and crime and thriller novels were 29 percent of the market the second largest genre behind general and literary fiction which was 41 percent um and a lot of that was Girl on the Train, because mm -hmm. uh, there's over 25 million copies sold of that uh, genre, and Girl on the Train sold, I think, I think one and a half to two million on its own. Sixty, and here, and here's why we're talking about it specifically in this context. 67% of this genre, Gripple, is bought by women with 25 to 34-year-old women accounting for the largest age in that category. They were 60%, that women in that age group were 60% of the sales group for Paula Hawkins' Girl on the Train. Um, just 17% of the sales of the novel were, were to men 25 to 34. And the, the, the claim here is that these are the children of <clears throat> Potter. Uh, not, right. not literally, but sort of... Uh, 
literarily the children of Potter, mm-hmm. who were in the 12-year-old range when the first Harry Potter came out in 1997 and are turning 31 in 2016. So they're right in the middle of that range of 25 to 34. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're sort of correlating. You can't causally – there's no one doing a survey saying, hey, you women buying Griplet, did you fall in love with books reading Harry Potter? It's just sort of a linking two phenomenons that I guess people want to link right? Harry Potter and why are people buying this particular genre? What do you make of this link? Does it, does it seem like there's any, does your gut, does it pass the smell test to you or what do you think about this? I think that women who are 25 to 34 who are buying a lot of books these days are probably Harry Potter people. Right. Because just like the numbers of how, how, you know, how many uh, Harry Potter copies of Harry Potter were sold and how many people in this country of, in that age range. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, read Harry Potter. I think the chances are good that if you've got a reader uh, who's a woman and is 30, she probably read Harry Potter. Um, I don't think that that has anything to do with the sales of psychological thrillers. I think that um, Harry Potter made a generation of readers, and women have always been uh, the driving economic force behind the publishing mm-hmm. industry. We read more books anyway. We buy more books than men anyway. We finish books more uh, frequently than men do. Um, and so I think it's just a natural thing where Harry Potter created a generation of readers, you know, that's that's continuing to spend. Now, now they have money, basically. Mm-hmm. Now they're third, in their 30s and they have money and they're spending it on the big buzzy books, which, you know, is Girl on the Train and all of the things that came after Girl on the Train. Before it was Girl on the Train when these women were in there, you know, because I'm 31, so this is, they're talking about me. Yeah. When I was in my mid to late 20s, I was buying Divergent. I was buying, you know, they're right. buying John Green. They're buying all these big trends in publishing over the past few years. You can watch they're happening because women of this age are buying them and, and making them happen. So it's the same thing. You know, later in this article, they talk about how sales in nonfiction, sales of adult coloring books and books about clean eating are through the roof, and it's the same. It's the same women. Yeah, and they, yet they make no. Too. They make no connection to Harry Potter there. They're not right, like, you know, there's not. It's just, yeah. I mean, you don't like Harry Potter, and then that means you have some kind of pathology that you grow up and you like Gone Girl. Like right. that's not you know. Or you want to color stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. you just like books, and mm-hmm. you're probably in the book world and open to whatever you're being marketed by the publishing industry. And right now, that's coloring books and griplet and books about eating clean. That's what's trending mm-hmm. right now, so that's what people are buying. And and, and it, it doesn't do any. I mean, the other question I have is, um, I I would like nothing more than to say that there was a, you know, basically a baby boomer generation of readers that Harry Potter <laughs> spawned. But I haven't seen any sort of longitudinal studies that there is a bump necessarily uh, among the kids who who came of age when Harry Potter was out. Maybe it's out there. I just haven't seen it. Um, But I think you're right. I think this is just one of those things where this is the cohort that's buying the most books right now. Mm -hmm. um, And it doesn't, the the genre of what they're buying doesn't seem to me to be related to Harry Potter. I guess, I guess the, the most, even if you, you unless you do a survey where you can like get in their side of their heads and say, are you reading this because it's like Harry Potter? That's the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Would be to see if there was a bump in sort of, I don't know, sort of adult fantasy big titles, right? Yeah. I, yeah. But there hasn't been, to my knowledge. Um, I guess sort of Queen of the Tearling um, and um, what's the other one I'm trying to think of? Like Ember in the Ashes, is that YA or is mm-hmm. that for yeah. adults? That's YA. It's YA. So <clears throat> I, I, I just haven't seen sort of a sort of the Gerber grow with me plan of fantasy <laughs> books, um, sort of come along the line. 
Um, so I'm not surprised that this cohort is buying the most books, but I think they sort of buy the most books, generally speaking, over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, and I, I would like to see someone do a study and say, what well, in 20 years ago, was it 40 to 54-year-old women buying the most books? And so this really is a, uh, a statistically significant difference in the, in the industry power uh, of, of this age group of women. I'm just not sure. I wonder if they're just aging out of it. Like, it was Harry Potter that we were reading, and then it was, you know, Divergent and the Hunger mm -hmm. Games, and now we're getting into our 30s, and we want to read about, like, unreliable narrators with drinking problems. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. like, oh, huh. When you're in your early 30s, I wonder why you would be wanting to read about stuff like that. <laughs> and then maybe when this generation, the Harry Potter generation, is in their 40s, we'll want to read about, like, whatever, quiet, domestic... Right, and when you're 60s, it's all going to be presidential biographies, and... Uh, I already read presidential I know, I was, that's, I was, that was just for you, Amanda. That that, <laughs> that was a snark just for you. Um so it's it's interesting. I mean, total total sales for books were up three in point seven percent twenty fifteen over twenty fourteen, um, and six percent six and a half percent by dollar amount. So not just volume, but also um, uh, price up all the way along. Uh, and I, I, that also resonates. I mean, I don't know if our site especially is keyed into this demographic because this is also uh, I was in sales meetings last week to get people to advertise with us. And 18 to 30, 18 to 44 year old women are our largest demographic, um, pretty significantly. And they, and you know, book riot readers, according to the surveys we've done of our own readers, but read 80 books a year and spend more than $400 a year on books, which is a lot, a lot, uh, a, lot yeah. a lot, a lot. And I actually think that $400 spent on books is low because I did that survey and that's about what I came out with, um, a couple years ago. And then I actually tracked my buying the next year, <laughs> and let's just say I was off. Um, uh, and it's yeah, my I don't look because my, my Audible subscription was one of the things. I just forgot that that's you know part of my book buying. I just didn't account for it. I was actually thinking about individual um, books that I bought. So yeah, I think and I, presumably um, we've also some of you have been um, nice enough to do a reader survey for us. We're doing another one right now for the show. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but have done some before, and a lot of you listening to this in their are in this age group, and of this um, generation, I guess if we're going to call it that. And if you haven't thought about this, I'd like to hear from you. Um, I'd much rather be called the Harry Potter generation than like a millennial. Yeah, you're a millennial. I, I'm a little fuzzy about what everyone is at this point. But um, yeah, if you've got feedback out there for us about whether or not you think it's it really is a Harry Potter thing, or is this Harry Potter got you into reading, it's sort of in a you know, basically a blank slate sort of way. Like I'm in on books and it doesn't have to be like this. If you think there's something to this, email me up, uh, email me and I'll check it out. Podcast at bookwrite.com. Or if you've seen like a longitudinal study that looks at, uh, if anyone's seen it out there about sort of book buying by generations, like, is this really a epiphenomenon or not? Um, I, I honestly don't know. My sense is it might be, but that's just my sense. Um, well, maybe maybe Elena Ferrante will spawn the next generation of oh. of readers here. Nice. Um, so Elena Ferrante, who uh, wrote the what do we call the Neapolitan series? Yes. Is that what mm -hmm. we're calling it? Yes. Um, apparently, her U.S. publisher Europa has announced that uh, she will be spinning off uh, the earlier novel, The Lost Daughter, um, into a children's novel which will be narrated by the doll from The Lost Daughter. And the name of the book is The Beach at Night. Which That's creepy. Is the creepiest non-creepy <laughs> setup. Like it's it's about the beaches at night are creepy already. 
And dolls are creepy already. And so a narrating doll about something that happens at night on a beach, I don't like this, Amanda. I'm very upset. I, I, I'm so sorry. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't like this. Um, I, you know, not that, not that I don't like it's morally inappropriate, just that, like this freaks me out a little bit. Very interesting move here. I'm a surprised, I have to say, to follow The demographic up. for this, like the audience for this book is so specific. Like it's uh, who it, who is it? Like Italian nine year olds taken Ferrante fever to like a whole other level because the Lost Daughter is not in the Neapolitan series. Yeah. It's a book she wrote before these four novels. So you have to be so into Ferrante that you've probably read the four books in the Neapolitan series, and then you've gone back right. and read the Lost Daughter. It's like everyone went back and read um, Dark Places after Gone Girl, right? Right. Like kind of yeah. that kind of move. Um, and then you want a what? And also, what is a children's novel? I assume they just mean like a. Kids, kids book, book. Like a picture book or uh, well an early chapter grade? book like but if it's yeah. illustrated i don't know adults I, i'm not sure <laughs> and so there's this image that europa editions tweeted and i'm looking at it right now and i don't know if this is an illustration from the new book or what but it's a girl looking at a doll and her irises or excuse me her pupils are in the shape of cats mm -hmm. and she looks like she's been sobbing yes is that or just me? she's been sobbing or she has been zombified or something because <laughs> she's like zoned out anyway uh, it's all very disconcerting um so but i thought people out there might want to know about this if anyone's read the lost daughter and would like to let us know um on this on a creepy factor of sort of <laughs> one to um chucky you know where it falls in that line. I think line. Jessica Woodbury has our contributor. Oh, yeah, she, we can ask her. We can ask her. So I, I'm not sure. This is a very unusual move for her coming off a sensation. Um, though sometimes people do this when they come off a real big hit, they kind of do a weird, you know, passion project or something unexpected. You know, Rowling did this. Jonathan Safran Foer did something like this. He did that book where he like cut pieces out of another book to make a different book. Um, I don't know if this is some way of sort of trying to get your head around how your career and public personas change. Though, if you're Ferrante, it really hasn't because no one knows you who you one. are. You don't have a public profile. <laughs> have you read the Neapolitan books? No, no, it's this summer. I think I've said on the show that oh, yeah. it, I was waiting for it to no longer violate O'Neill's razor, um, and now it now it hasn't. And this summer, I, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to get them. Um, and I think I think I think I'll just get them all. I, I was waiting for maybe an omnibus set or something. I don't think I'm going to get that. So. Um, I'm going to read in the summer. I'm very much looking forward to it. I don't know. I've told it, it the, just the covers look like they're summery books, like very bright Italian sunshine. Yes. I read um, the first one on a beach. Yes. It was there we go. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, let's see. So the Harper Lee news um, continues to roll along. I was weirdly affected by this one, I have to say. I don't like it. Um, we all, uh, we all, the Harry Potter generation and old men like me that came before, <laughs> um, Grew up, probably the book, the version of To Kill a Mockingbird you had was this little lavender. Is lavender the right color? Yes. Yeah. Um, or rightish color. Uh, light purple mass market paperback of To Kill a Mockingbird. I, 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 I remember it distinctly. I think it's still in my, um, my boxes of books in the basement in our new place. Um, and there they killed it. Uh, we got that news last month, or last week, excuse me, I think after the show was over. And we were like, oh, that's a bummer. And, you know, speaking of correlation and not causality, I don't know what's going on. We've sealed Harper Lee's will. I don't know if we talked about that on the show or not. I can't remember. I can't. I really can't do every single Harper Lee move back and forth. Mm -hmm. But the Harper Lee estate asked the judge to seal her 
will. It is sealed, so we don't get to see what's in it. Um, this is sort of one of those things like pleading the Fifth Amendment. Like technically, you can't <laughs> indict mm-hmm. someone for it, but it's still not a great sign, honestly, if you want to seal the will. Um, and it only sort of adds fuel to the speculative fire uh, that we all think there's th- that we all wonder about the do- goings on over there. But anyway. The, the next thing, that, the big news that happened after sealing the wheel is the cutting of this mass market paperback in favor of the more modern trade paperback that I think uses the original cover. I think it is the original cover. I'm not sure. Um, that's more expensive, basically. Um, the, the trade paperback was $14.99, and the mass ma- market paperback was $8.99. So like, it's just a straight you know $6 gouge is what mm-hmm. the move was. But now apparently HarperCollins is starting a rebate program for K-12 through schools where they can buy the new trade at the old mass market price. So they don't want to gouge schools. They just want to gouge consumers. You know, If you're going to yeah. buy To Kill a Mockingbird at Barnes & Noble, they don't want you to pick up one for 8 bucks. They want you to pick up one for 15 bucks. So there's that. I mean, I guess the news was bad, and now it's less bad. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> I feel bad for, their, for the publisher here. Harper Collins, you do? Yeah, I mean, this isn't their call. They, you oh, know. you don't think so? That's interesting. I hadn't really considered that. No, it's not there. I mean, it was the estate. They put up the license. Harper Collins put up the license for the mass market paperback for renewal, and the estate declined to renew uh-huh. it. Aha, I missed that. Oh, I see. I'm seeing that right now down in yeah, the story. Yeah, so it was her estate's decision, the mm-hmm. sketchy estate. Due to the is- wishes of the author, in quotation marks, as it says right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. 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 <laughs> if Harper Lee wanted the mass market paperback to be discontinued, she's had 60 years. I, I was just going to say the same thing. So on her deathbed, you know what? We've been, <laughs> un- we've been underpricing this thing for 60 years. we got to get on this. You know, I'm really concerned about my money, despite the fact <laughs> that I've been living in the same house in the same small town and eating breakfast at McDonald's for my entire life. Yeah, I'm the Warren Buffett of literary <laughs> riches. And at the end here, I'm going to, to, to be concerned about $4 per book. Oh, uh, you know, I tried to give, what was her name? Tanya Carter. Carter. I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt. I, d- I did too. Help. You and I did. Rebecca didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> And as in most things, she was ahead of us. I know, that. she was. I tried to like think gracious thoughts about her because I don't like to assume the worst about people, but everything she touches, ever since Harper Lee's sister died, everything that this woman touches turns out to be shady as all get out. Yeah, you, not, so one, not one move is, boy, that is a magnanimous stroke of kind-hearted tenderness towards the world. It's All of it is, you know... Yeah, the special offer, which applies only schools, is open-ended will be evaluated on an ongoing basis. Well, that means to me, that means get them while they're hot. She's um, the one who sued the museum for yes, in Monroeville. In Mon- She's Monroeville. the one who shut down that play that they put on yeah. in that town. The, the Monroeville play- Museum, which had been open for like 30 years, that uh, Harper Lee <clears throat> had never said boo about. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, something in my face there. <laughs> um, Wow. So 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 there's that. Uh, I don't like this. This for some reason, of all the moves, I, I guess maybe it says Harper Lee's dead, and now it just feels like, you know, when when Michael waits till his mom is dead to kill Fredo in The Godfather. I feel like huh. this. You could sort of say Ghost of the Watchman. It's out, and you know maybe she wanted it out. This one you can't really. <laughs> it's the timing is so bad. The timing is just complete. And like the wishes of the author is so obviously bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just you're just lying. Like you're just like and poor Harper Collins. Like I mean not not literally yeah, right. not poor Harper Collins because this is a giant multi whatever bajillion dollar conglomerate company. But 
they had they knew that the optics of this was going to be so terrible, and right. now they're taking this they're taking this bite like they have they're eating the whatever yeah. six bucks per copy to send these to schools because they know that that's messed up. And when a giant corporation is like, mm, yeah. bridge too far, you know what? I, like, I don't even think that's humane. You know, you, you're on the other <laughs> yeah. side of the river. Um, what I want to know is if 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 you could interview the estate and they said they, that Harper, this is discontinuing the wishes of the author, and you got to ask just the next question of why I think would would bring the whole thing tumbling down, right? Because there's no answer to that that makes any sense at this point. Like that Harper Lee was so out to lunch that she she was like, wait, people are selling a mass market version? Like I just, it's so beyond reasonable for everything we know about Harper Lee, for her to care um, one Alabama afternoon <laughs> about this when she for 60 years before just hadn't. Uh, I, I, yeah. So anyway, that one def this one definitely goes in the file of um uh, goes on the the witness stand in the great public trial of the estate of of Harper Lee as pretty damning evidence. I would and say. And it's just like so against everything. I mean, Harper Lee she had a quiet life and she gave so much money away. Yes. You know she was like uh, I just have to believe that she was such a better person. Than, yeah. than this move, which is, I mean, it's obviously just a money grab and the people it affects most are school kids and yeah, the poor. So <laughs> I mean, and, and the cynical, well, I mean, I don't even know if it's cynical at this point, but, you know, I've read too many Agatha Christie novels recently and the, the key <laughs> to trying to figure out who's did in Agatha Christie is like, who benefits from the will? Mm -hmm. um, and put things together with the sealed envelope. I mean, it's it, my guess if I'm um, a a uh, half the the de detective Miss Marple is the will says that the leader the estate can pay the executor whatever it wants right mm -hmm. you know and like sealing the terms of the estate plus a squeezing of the market for dollars out of To Kill a Mockingbird like it, it, that's this is not differential equations we're doing here to sort of figure out what's going on um, yeah. they're very disconcerting I mean you know. If Harper Lee had said publicly 20 years ago, you know what, we should, this would be a trade paperback and whatever, that's up to her. But at this point, it, it's just so terribly cynical. I, very disappointing, I have to say. Um, and so I guess I, we just grit our teeth and bear it until 2086 when it comes into the public yeah, domain. Yeah, 28 domain. Or you know what, go, go scoop up some used copies. Uh, this is oh, one yeah. of those situations where um, avoiding the estate tax by <laughs> that you're paying basically for new additions is... Uh, I think well within the uh, moral realm here. Um, speaking of, of paying less, we're going to our, our next sponsor. It's Harry's is back again. So he, here's the deal. I, I, I joke about Harry's, but I'm not going to joke about Harry's today because buying razors at the pharmacy in line or on Costco or Walmart's a disaster. They're expensive. Um, you know, often it's hard to get to them. And they're it's just, they're not they're just they're just really expensive, and you run out when you don't need it. You you run out at the wrong time. You know I've got a wedding to go to tomorrow, and of course I'm out of my razors, and my dad's on my razors here where I'm where I'm at my dad's place. And if I was only Harry's could have saved me if I were at home with this situation. You you get good quality razors at about half the price you'd pay for the sort of the premium, um, you know, manga shaped and designed razors you get you know you know the razors i'm talking about um for for 10 bucks with the offer code book go to harrys.com you get three of their expertly crafted five blade german razors 
Handles and Shave Cream for 10 bucks. It's usually 15. Offer code book. You get five bucks off. You're probably figuring out, you know, what you're, why you should do it. I, let me just tell you, you start doing it. Decide if you like the, the blade and the razor and the handle. Um, these are clean, modern designs. And, you know, you may not like it. You might be used to what you're used to. But I think if you give it a shot, you will like what what's going on there. And they, you can decide what frequency to get the razors you need. Um, and so they're always just new, fresh blades. One thing I found is I have more blades and they're less expensive. I tend to shave more just because, you know, when you have an old blade and you're like, don't want to go pay $10,000 per blade, um, you shave more and you feel sharper, you feel cleaner. Um, and just more, you know, it makes your life just a little bit easier. Clean, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns, full refund. If you're not happy, um, harrys.com offer code book right now. Okay. Okay. Um, Moneyball. Did you read this article the yeah. whole way through? Uh, we've talked about jelly books before on the show. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, have you read this? Did you read this article? Have you heard of the jelly books before? You probably. Um, yes. Yeah. When we talk about the show, we see it around a little bit. So what they do is they, they're a reader analytics company based in London. And what they do is basically they, they give free eBooks to readers and then using the software basically on, on, on the device or in the files. I'm not actually sure how this works, to be honest, if it's in a file or the device that they, they have to have a special device. Um, they can see a whole bunch of interesting stuff. You know, how fast people read, where people, uh, where people stop reading, you know, on chapter breaks like while they're reading, what percentage completion they do, if they don't complete a book, where they start and stop, and, and, very, and um, varieties of these things across gender. Um, and this is they've been sort of leaking out data a little by little to try to get coverage. And finally, so uh, the New York Times did a, a longer piece about this. And basically, the argument is: if you know this kind of stuff, can you be a Moneyball for publishing? And Moneyball being the book about the Oakland A's and the rise of sabermetrics in baseball, written by Michael Lewis, it got turned into a movie. It's a great movie um, and a pretty a great book and a pretty good movie. Basically saying, is, is there data out there that can help publishers be more successful? Because um, to be honest, for a long time and still to this to this point, big publishing relies upon editors to decide whether or not to, to buy a book and what and then what to do to it. And then they release it into the marketplace and sort of see what happens. Um, always been interesting to me, as far as I know, they don't do sort of any focus group reading. You know, they don't do that thing where they show movies out to like – hundred people in Thousand Oaks, California, have them fill out a, a, a reaction or have previews like Broadway shows do in, in Philadelphia or Chicago before it comes to New York and the creators and producers make tweaks based upon basically audience satisfaction and engagement. Books do, do nothing of the sort for historical reasons, but also it's, it's a lot to ask someone to read a whole novel and then give them feedback and all that sort of thing. And this is sort of saying, can we find out something about books that will help us be more successful? Um, and the, the answer is, I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends. And I was trying to think about this, and I was thinking about writing something else. I might still. What does it mean for the book to be successful? And is that the same thing as it selling a lot? Is that the same thing as a whole bunch of people, you know, uh, more than average people finishing the book? I, I don't, this has nothing to be how fast they read it and whether or not they finish it. I guess we're only using sort of a correlation to their 
I don't know, enjoyment or happiness of the book. Um, what do you think about this? Do you, do you think there's anything here is it, or is this all smoke? It skews me out. To be yes. Honest. Okay. <laughs> Why does it do that? Um, well, I don't, I don't like feeling like a product. First mm-hmm. of all. Um, and when I bought, when I purchased a book, I feel like the book is the product, but in this case, you become the product. I mean, mm-hmm. you become the thing that people are gathering data on in order to determine how to get more money out of you. And I just, I don't like that. And I know that like, it's already happening on the internet and like my computer checks me and Netflix pays attention to what I binge watch and all of that. And these are like things that I've accepted, you know? Um, but I don't know. There's just something about I was tweeting about this a little bit, trying to figure out why mm. I was so comfortable with it. And I think that it comes down to my automatic, uh, I have an automatic level of discomfort with the the intersection of, of art and commerce that publishing is and has to be. But whenever we talk more about the commerce than the art, I always get a little like, oh, but literature, you know? Right. And I'm afraid that this is going to, to affect... Uh, is going to swing the the thing, swing the balance of what publishing is more towards commerce and less towards right. art than it already is. But that, I mean, we already have marketing departments. We already have, you know, so they already make big decisions mm-hmm. based on what they think is going to sell. It's not, you know, I don't know, grouse, 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 rubble, rubble, rubble. Well, I, you know, I, I sort of, I agree with you. I was been thinking about this week because I, I feel similarly, but maybe not as strongly. But the thing I was wondering about is, I guess I've just sort of come to terms with the, I guess the business proposition that is publishing. That is, we release a bunch of books, and we know most of them aren't going to make money, but some of them will, and some of them will be hits, and some of them will be really wonderful books. And we just we don't necessarily know which ones are going to catch on. We don't know if it's going to be Girl on the Train, or if it's going to be, you know, Queen of the Tearling, or it's going to be Lexicon by Max. I'm just trying to think of some things that we liked at Book Riot that. Didn't really set the world on fire, but we're, we're, we're interesting books, right? And so that the market sort of decides, you know, readers sort of decide. That, that's sort of the thing I've always sort of liked about that weird part of publishing where they don't really know what's going to happen. It sort of feels like readers deciding what they like, yeah. you know, what, what sort of catches fire. Where this more feels like engineering it, right? Exactly. It feels more like we're going to build a bunch of widgets um, that we know people will like more. For example, here, one European publisher said it reduced its marketing budget for a book and had paid a lot of money to acquire after learning that 90% of readers gave up after only five chapters. A German publisher decided to increase advertising and marketing on the debut crime novel. Data showed that nearly 70% of readers finished it. So th- that, that I'm okay with. They decided to buy the book, they're seeing what readers are doing, and then they're trying to be more efficient. And that w- that's what Moneyball is essentially about, right? Being more efficient with your salary dollars. Um, and they're sort of thinking of advertising budgets here as like salary dollars. But in Moneyball, the 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 proposition was pretty easy. You wanted to win more games, and to win games you have to score more runs than your opponent. And basically what um, the statisticians over at in the Oakland Athletics Department figured out is that people were overpaying for home runs and power and underpaying for people who walked a lot. And basically the 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 the, the law all, all, all sabermetrics on the offensive side of baseball boils down to is do not strike out, basically. Just don't strike out and things will be a lot better. And I can see here that maybe if publishing could get rid of some of these, I mean, I don't mean to bang on it, it's just one that's in my head because, you know, it got a big advance. If we could avoid the city on fires, <laughs> right? Where we pay That'll a, be good for both the art and the commerce. We pay a huge amount of money and we spend a lot of money on advertising and publicity and you take a bath on it. 
maybe if they did maybe if they did fewer of those, they could take more smaller bets or more interesting books. You know what I mean? Like maybe you could save some of the salary for the underrated, but you know, still makes money kinds of books. You don't have to spend a lot. You don't do a lot of advertising. You don't spend you don't spend a million dollars for an advance, but you can be a little more efficient with your um, with your dollars. My fear is that being able to know if you could somehow know what books were going to sell. Wouldn't you just get sort of an ocean of sameness after a while? Exactly. I don't want authors like, I mean, this is, you know, slippery slope. Right. Stuff, yes. But I don't want authors down the line making decisions about how they write their books based on data that, you know, companies like this have provided their publishers. I want authors to write the books they want to write mm -hmm. and then face what the market gives them because that's how it's supposed to work. You know, right. like, that's how we've always done it. Because ah, I, mean, you know, I mean, the dream book is the one that, no one could, you know, d doesn't fit any preconceived formulation of what a book could be. And then, you know, sort of almost teaches readers how to read it or, or gets readers to read along with it and, and becomes, you know, becomes your next beloved or becomes your next infinite jest, becomes your next To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that, where I don't think if you had sort of given it to a focus group of people, I mean, maybe you would have known, but you would only know after the book was written, I guess. Whereas you don't want people going in with a blank Microsoft Word document saying, okay, well, I know that if you have a cliffhanger after page five and you have mm -hmm. a buddy cop and you have a manic pixie dream girl, I, I'm sorry, I'm just pulling tropes out of that hat here, um, that then my book will sell because that I, I'm afraid that does lead to sort of like what you see in, in, in sort of pop music of the 90s of like 17 boy bands that all sing basically <laughs> the same song, right? I mean, I, I guess that's what I'm concerned about. And I guess I don't know how much of that goes on already. Um, I certainly don't begrudge uh, um, publishers sort of using data to decide where to put their marketing dollars. But I think wouldn't you just know from sales? I, I, that's I, I, guess, I don't, yes. Like, can you, if you're, trying to decide whether or not you want an author to come back and write a sequel to a crime series wouldn't you just look at how well their last book sold like why right. do you need to get into somebody's e-reader and like look at their business i don't yeah, understand that I, I it's don't... like i've got real privacy problems but and this is one of the reasons why i still continue to prefer print mm -hmm. i have no problems with ebooks but like the combination of feeling like i'm being spied on and drm makes me like ugh. there's something so private about reading yes. that i would just rather not have feel like somebody and i know this is you know whatever it's inevitable but i'm still gonna complain about it um, <laughs> i'm gonna i don't like the idea of having somebody looking over my shoulder and making marketing decisions based on whether or not i put a book down at a certain spot because i had to go pee you know like mm -hmm. it's, a, it's half of those are decisions that i make about what i what books i pick up and when i put them down or when i do or don't finish them have nothing to do with the book they have to do with my life you know yeah. and so it's like I'm just a, I just have this fear that that the privacy issues plus publishers making these decisions based on stuff that doesn't actually have anything to do with the book itself is going to do things to the 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 marketplace of ideas that is publishing that aren't beneficial for readers or mm -hmm. publishers or authors or anyone. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's just like I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I like think that. I when I linked to this story the day before the last time Jelly Books did this, I was like. I don't know. I, I guess I just should assume on my Kindle or on my iPad, um, whatever I'm reading is being tracked. I just never thought about it. I'm sure it was in one of those end user license agreements that I don't <laughs> read that, you know, we're going to use your data and sell it to the highest bidder and also we'll give it over to the cops at the drop of a hat. Um, I just never really, really considered it um, as something that, A, would go into the law enforcement, you know, sort of 
into a real marketplace that we bought and sold, but also the law. A few years ago, California, if you live in California, there is a Reader Privacy Act, what made it harder for law enforcement agencies to collect information on consumers' digital reading records. Um, But most other states have not taken such steps. Um, You know, I think it's, it's, I don't know. I wish, I wish I could see there, that there was more of a reader problem that this solved. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to me to be the case that this no. really does anything for readers. Maybe it tells publishers something they didn't know before, but I think they're going to have a hard time knowing what to do with this kind of data. Um, Cause I, I do think after you know, people will finish a certain kind of book over and over again, but didn't we know that already? I guess that's the part. I, I'm not sure what we, I'm not sure what we don't know what we don't know that we're knowing now that helps someone make a decision about something. I'm just ugh. I think I'm automatically suspicious. I think part of this is that I'm suspicious of something that places less value on a person's ability to intuit when something is going to be good or not work. You know, like this removes so much of the um, decision making from a publisher's marketing department. And like when you take a human being's brain out of a thing, I, I think it. it you're going to miss so much nuance of what makes a book a bestseller or so much of yeah. what makes a book good or not good or whatever. So I don't, I don't it, know. It would be interesting to see if someone, a publisher that really instituted this, like, you know, if you could have a Monte Carlo simulation where one version of that publisher used a bunch of this data and one didn't, mm-hmm. like, would it really overperform? I guess I'm just not sure at this point. It doesn't, you know, does it, does something like this, um, is, is girl on the train not a hit or is, is it a bigger hit or not a hit? Like, what actually changes? What, what book is a hit that isn't a hit? And I, I guess I'm just not sure what the alternate future is supposed to look like. Like, mm-hmm. if you could institute this back in 1984, is there some book that, <laughs> you know, if they only knew how many people were finishing it, I, I guess I just don't see how people finishing and liking a book didn't correlate to sales before. Like, somehow it didn't correlate to sales before, and now it would. <laughs> uh, well, there, it obviously did for Girl on the Train, like... Yeah, no, that but that wasn't. They didn't detract that. I mean, they didn't decide to put more. Mar- There's just that sold just a bunch of copies. Like yeah. there have always been like runaway hits, um, but can they be, be engineered, or is this no, more? Just I, mean, a, like, I, I just don't think that's possible. Part of the thing with Girl on the Train, right, was that like Reese Witherspoon Instagrammed it, and you can't predict with an algorithm. Right. Someone's e-reader, whether or not Reese Witherspoon is going to And Goodreads, 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 Nancy, what's her name? Uh, Goodreads, Susan. Oh yeah, uh, I don't remember her name, but there's a blogger on Goodreads yeah. who's the patient like zero. Yeah, of Girl on the Train. Right, that like Riverheads, like yeah, and part of it is that she gave it a really influential review in an influential time. And I, I just, I just am not sure that that kind of thing you're going to get much help for. Maybe it's more of the. Maybe it's not the the blockbusters. Maybe it's the mid list stuff. You're just trying to make fewer mistakes there. That 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 could be a possibility. Um, I don't know. You know your girl, your uh, girls on fire. No, city on fire, city on fire. Um, speaking of uh, s- successful books, the National Book Critics Circle Award uh, was announced last night, I think. Um, and this is one I I guess when I more cared about awards, this was my favorite award. I have to say. Mm. Um, just because it was usually picked different stuff and, um, and, and I thought differently of critics then than I did now. I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> but I was thrilled to see that Paul um, Beatty's novel, The Sellout, and Margot Jefferson's memoir, Negroland, were the, the headlining winners. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sellout won for fiction and Jefferson won for nonfiction. I'm sorry, for memoir. Pardon me. Um, the nonfiction prize went to 
Dreamland, this true story of America's opiate epidemic by Sam Quinones, I guess. I'm not great with Spanish. I'm so sorry. Um, but I've had that book on my radar too, um, as I have watched Trump phenomenon through mm. um, my fingers, like at a horror movie. Uh, <laughs> I have sort of fallen down the rabbit hole of what's going on in uneducated, poor white America. And one thing that's going on there is opioid addiction. Um, and it's a huge problem. And that's something I knew from where I grew up even 10 or 15 years ago as a real problem. Um, and so I have that book to, to see there. Um, the Argonauts by Maggie Nelson uh, won the Criticism Prize. Yeah, Grey um, Wolf. Man, they're such a good publisher. Yeah, uh, I guess the biggest upset was Taniasi Coates's Between the World and Me was a finalist but did not win. The Biography Prize went to Romantic Outlaw, Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter Mary Shelley, which also I've heard wonderful things about by Charlotte Gordon. And the Poetry Prize went to Ross Gay for a Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. That would be an excellent show title. Congratulations to you for um, <laughs> using a podcast episode title-like um, uh, sentence. Um, uh, Wendell see. Berry got a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yes. Uh, first Book Prize went to Kristen Valdez Quade, Quade um, for Night at the Fiestas. And Carlos Lozado, who I follow on Twitter, and he's a critic at the Washington Post, won the Balakanian Citation for Excellence in Reviewing. Um, so I there didn't we realize go. that existed. Yep. There's an excellence in reviewing prize. Excellence in reviewing. That's something for us to aspire to, I suppose. That's cool. So I don't, I assume that like reviews with a bunch of gifts from like Parks and Rec do not. Uh, you know, hold. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's the Finnegan's Wake of reviewing and it's just ahead of its time, you know, and it's just, you know. Um, bad example because no one can make heads or tails out of Finnegan's Wake. You know, the Ulysses of its time got banned and crapped on in 1918 and when it was published, but now. You know, maybe in we'll 2030, have, people will in 2030, the, the GIF review of uh, Queen of the Tearling will really be the, the height of the genre. Pretty um, sure I actually did write that. Yeah, I know you could. That's why I said that. Um, <laughs> I, a very, uh, you know, this, uh, this is the kind of slate of winners that always makes me like this prize. Like every single one of these books I'm interested in, which I can't always say. Um, and I'm, Negroland, I still haven't got to, but I'm listening. It's next on my audio queue. Um, I really like the sellout. It felt like it came out more than last year, but I guess it was early last year. Um, it came out ago. Any any comments on any of those books? Any, you're happy about the Argonauts, especially? It sounded like um, I haven't. Re I'm happy because I like Grey Wolf. And oh, Grey Wolf! Yes, yes, yes. Get recognized, but I, the Argonauts is on. I so I'm judging this uh, best translated. Book oh yes, I forgot. You're in translation year, purgatory. So I, yeah. Yeah, I've been. I have this stack of like books I've been sent in the past twelve months that I really want to get to when the prize is done, and that is at the top. So that will be my probably one of my first reads after mm -hmm. we're done with this prize. Lord, we're arguing about the long list right now. It's getting heated. Let yeah. me tell you. Um. So. so the next the next one we want to talk about the, our last sponsor this week is a, a tyranny of petticoats. Yeah. And have you have you heard about this book? Before yeah, this? Jessica Spotswood, who edited it, uh, wrote Born Wicked, which is one of my uh -huh. favorite novels about like witches, and it's her handmaid's tale. -y. Anyway, that and is so. The Tyranny of Petticoats basically is fifth. The, the subtitle is fifteen stories of bells, bank robbers, and other badass girls, um, and it's it's YA writers who are writing historical fiction and fantasy, featuring a diverse array of daring heroines. I think Jelly Books, though, what may have created this book just for us to talk about on the show as a sponsor, honestly, I mean, <laughs> it like, hits so many of the buttons. Um, 
dog sleds and ships, stagecoaches and trains, pirate ships off the coast of the Carolinas, to yes. the peace, love, and protest with the 1960 Chicago. Um, 15 of today's most talented writers of young adult on a thrill ride through history with America girls charting their own course. Let's see, some of the names you might know, Marie Lou. Um, these are the ones I know, I should say, that I've heard of before. Marissa Mayer. Mayer or Meyer, do you know? I think Mayer, it's Meyer. Meyer. Um, uh, Leslie Walton, Robin Talley. Tally, Tally, Lindsay Smith, Beth Revis, Caroline Richmond, Kekla Magoon, um, Catherine Longshore, Y.S. Lee, Jay Anderson Coates, Andrea Kramer. Um, really oh. awesome project, I have to say. Really awesome idea. Um, out now. Came out on March 8th. Uh, 368 pages. So you get sometimes when I look, I see a short story, I'm like, uh, short story collection, I'm like, oh, it's going to be like 180 pages. But you will get excellent bang for your buck. Uh, uh, for this one, 368 pages, uh, 15 stories, a great, it also has a great cover, I should say, mm. a great title and a great cover. So that's Tyranny of Petticoats. Go check it out now. Thank you so much for them to sponsoring the show. Um, but seriously, you should have, um, you know, you're, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, not, not to put too fine a point on it. You, you did, you did the right thing. Last story, speaking of banned Irish books, boy, I didn't even have to set this up. Um, like Ulysses, uh, this is one I, we follow the banned book saga, and I think I finally found a book banning that I was okay with. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't know the whole. I don't know much about the book here that was banned, but is the the Ireland has a law on the books that says you can ban a book, and they haven't used it for in eighteen years, and they finally used one on a book by a writer named Gene Martin, and the title, and I'm it's going to pain me to say it, but I will: the raped little runaway. Um, and it was banned because it contained numerous explicit, de numerous explicit descriptions of the rape of a child. Um, the decision was unanimous and basically they said, we, this, we, we had to do it. They didn't want to do it. Um, it wasn't like a film where you could put an age restriction. It was, it was a, it was a binary condition of either yes or no, um, extreme and rare occurrence. And, and I guess, I guess the, the, the logic is it's basically, child pornography is what it turned out to be and you can't do that um so this uh, this one I, you know it takes a lot to get me to say yes you should ban this book it sounds to me like this one is one that should have been should have been banned i don't agree with you you don't okay no. go for it yeah oh. i think that if it were child pornography then the writer should be arrested you know like if mm -hmm. it's actually if they've committed some sort of crime, I don't know this writer, maybe they're dead, who knows. Yeah, I don't um, know. I don't know anything about the writer either. Yeah, um, then they should be prosecuted. But it sounds like it wasn't enough to to be actually illegal and was just offensive. And um, one of our contributors was telling me that the book is like almost non-existent. Like it's not in print. It's hard mm. to get from the publisher anyway. And so it sounds to me like the market was already... Had decided. Banning it. Like I remember a couple years ago, Amazon had like a guide to assaulting children up. Yeah. and then uh you know there's a big outcry and they finally took it down and people were like oh censorship and no it's a business deciding to not sell mm -hmm. something gross that people don't want to buy anyway and i think that was already happening but then they banned it like right. if it's illegal then do something about it but if it's just gross then i don't know like lolita is explicit you know that's the thing i keep coming back to is eh, yeah i have i haven't I, I haven't i haven't read lolita in a while and so the, the passages that, you know, would be on trial in that such a situation are not fresh in my mind. Um, I guess what I, <clears throat> that's interesting context. I hadn't seen that. My, my intuition or maybe my leap of 
fearing assumption, my, my fearful assumptive, fearful assumptive leap, that's a weird <laughs> phrase, was that it was sort of using fiction as a guide for basically snuff porn for kids. Oh, maybe. Um, so yeah, I, don't I don't know enough about the book. I don't too. know enough about the book either. That's just what I said. But it did. It, at any rate, it did. It did show to me that I have a line um, mm -hmm. myself, and that writing fictional accounts of raping kids for jollies is not something I think I can get aboard with of having available in the public marketplace. That brings up a whole bunch of nasty, complicated issues. But guess what? Welcome to the world of nasty and complication. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's one. As For as much as we do talk about on the show, book bannings and censorship moves that um, you know really seem unfair. It seems like, and again, I'll, maybe I'll look into more of this and do some follow-up. Maybe I'll do my homework for once um, <laughs> and, and see what else I can find out about this, as distasteful as it is personally. Um, but that's one where... Maybe there is a mo maybe there is a, a move to ban something, and I hadn't actually thought you're about your point about the criminality of it. That's a good point. I, can you can you be arrested if it's fiction? Like I know I child no pornography, idea. it's it's illegal because it's you know real kids, um, but I don't know about fictive representations of this sorts of thing. I don't know, and I certainly um, don't anything about Ireland. Yeah, and I definitely I definitely am going to be googling this from a computer that is not mine because I do incognito not want incognito mode. Yeah, uh, yeah, incognito mode like. I don't know, using a burner Chromebook or something like that, that it will throw away and burn immediately. Yeah. Um, but if any, if anyone out there know anything about this book or this particular situation, um, I did look around for a few other um, sort of opinion pieces about this. I didn't find out much, but maybe there's some more since it's come out. Um, that's our show. We're done. Yeah, yeah. That's our done. Thanks so much for our three sponsors, Harry, a, a Tyranny of Petticoats, um, and uh, Warby Parker for sponsoring the show. Show notes are available um, we've got a new, we've got a new site. It's a little different to <clears throat> navigate to the show notes. If you go to podcast.com slash listen, you can see all of our shows and you can click on the book riot podcast and find the reverse episodes there. Um, some people have had a hard time finding it. Also I've been traveling. I've been a little slow on getting the show notes up. I apologize about that, but there's, you can also see there's nice new inline players for all the shows. Um, so if you don't have a podcast you're like, and you've been listening in mobile or on your desktop, um, I think the player looks a lot better and it's a lot easier to do um, play from your phone, especially if you have comments for us podcast uh, at bookriot.com. book Riot live tickets go on sale March 28th. So that's coming up soon. Mm -hmm. Thought I would just mention that real quick. Um, our, our Alex, our developer and, and Scott, our designer and Jen, our events program are all working super hard to get that right to go. Um, so that's coming up. Amanda, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much everyone for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>